listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. of balance. We're not lopsided. We're not too far to one extreme or the other. We are centered. It's one way of putting this. And when we're centered, we have a much wider array of options as we choose. And one of the most beautiful examples of deep equanimity that I have seen in the last while actually came from a question from uh, one of my students who said, you know, you keep talking about everything's perfect as it is, we just meet the world as it is, that the Buddha said, you know, if you just whatever. How do you explain things like what happened in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. When a gunman goes in and shoots little girls, where do you find equanimity there? And I, of course, fumbled around with the response. And then the funerals happened and it showed up that these people we're actually walking Christ's walk. We're walking with the Buddha's feet. They were, they held no grudge against the perpetrator of this awful crime. It's God's will. And then they moved on. And this isn't to say that, that horrible scarring hasn't occurred from this and that they won't be dealing with this, but as a community, they began to hold each other. And in a time of incredible violence, when you don't speak my truth, when the world seems to position itself in this camp or this camp, even within the same tradition, and then violence ensues when you don't see with my eyes. In the face of all that, the entire world was given a gift in watching these Amish men and women celebrate life, celebrate death from a position of peace and openness and kindness and care, even to the killer's wife and children. There was something so beautiful about this. Ann Taylor Fleming, who does the essays for uh, the uh, News Hour with Jim Lair, did this piece that just broke me apart. I thought it was so beautiful. It's like, yeah, okay, that's why we contribute to KQED. I mean, at least, you know, this is what I, it just, it was so powerful, so powerful and so simple. It's equanimity, meeting our horror with tenderness, with balance, an orientation from peace as opposed to an orientation of, all right, Justice. Justice, so much can be, the fuel for justice can be anger. 
the fuel for righteousness often comes from total ego. And what this entire group of people was rather egolessly bowing to reality, not knowing what it may bring. For me, and I don't know how many people around the rest of the world will see this, it brought hope that it can be done. It can be done. As tragic as it was, uh, these, these precious little girls did not die in vain, at least from this heart. Can't speak for anybody else, but it was just a very powerful lesson in what it means not to attach and what non-attachment can actually show. What, what it can express. So how do we do this? Well, um, so much has been kind of written and said historically. Uh, there are certain through lines that, that each of us can kind of pull that I think become rather illuminating. Among the most important things we can recognize um, is that we pay very, very close attention to the voice in our head. Most often we want to ignore it because if we think if we have a voice in our head that we're probably going to need some lithium or something. This isn't the case. The voice in our head is always kind of chirping and chattering. Listen to it. Listen to it. doesn't mean act on it. Listen to it. Be aware of that in our head which is chiming and chirping, squawking, sometimes yelling, screaming at others, whispering at times as well. Being, being very, very close with that allows us to develop an awareness of it. We become much more familiar with this inner dialogue that's continually going. When we first start the practice and we start paying attention to our inner dialogue, usually the reaction is, oh my God, it doesn't stop. Uh, it does stop when it is seen, when it is truly witnessed. Okay, when we, when we really listen to it and it recognizes that it's being listened to, it tends to slow down. This is a really interesting situation that occurs in spiritual practice. When we start just listening, becoming very, very intimate with our experience, what ends up happening is the light of our deepest awareness begins to shine on that which has always been able to kind of co-opt our experience and manage everything. It's like the field general. The field general has always been able to be in charge. Okay, we're going to flank him on that side and then we're going to come with the, you know, this particular maneuver and we got him. We got him in a crossfire. All right? Next, you know, next battle, next battle, right? That's the way the field general tends to operate. But once the field general is seen as being a player on the stage, it's exposed. Because the stage play can only encompass this much reality. However big the stage is, that's how big the reality is. Once the field general is seen on that stage, there's this sudden uh, dissolution of this what we call in theater, the fourth wall. In other words, you act on stage with a partner and your scene partner, you and your scene partner pretend the audience isn't even there. 
and it's quite an amazing experience for those of you who have ever done this. You actually begin, the lines aren't things you think about, they are, you listen to what your, your uh, fellow actor on stage is saying and you react to the listening. You listen and participate and you'll find really bad acting when people don't put that wall up. When in fact they become very conscious of the fact that they're playing to a big house and that I may get applause after this. There's some very bad acting that occurs there. And when the field general, to bring this back around, feels like it is being exposed, it starts getting concerned about its acting. It becomes much less powerful. Its talents as a stage player become diminished substantially. And what really begins to take over slowly but surely is this audience. The audience of what is yammering becomes far more um, the audience becomes the only option for us. So when we listen to that voice, that which is listening is the audience. When we really feel what's going on in our body, that which is noticing the feeling, that's the audience. When we have a thought that keeps just churning and burning in our mind, that which witnesses that thought, that which notices the thought is the audience. So our move really is just to kind of step back just a little bit metaphorically and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more till the stage itself becomes so diminished in its scope that it becomes kind of this trivial thing that we can laugh at. We can use the stuff that happens. We can actually use what the field general tells us if we feel like it's necessary or we can totally discount it and say sorry but that choice is there. It's not to deny what's going on on the stage. It's not to deny any of this. This is very real. But more options begin to creep in. We see that there is a, a conventional or normal reality. And we also see that there's this ultimate reality. And surfing between those two experiences then becomes the practice of someone who is doing this work, who is actually incorporating stillness into their day to day. They're living from that place of stillness, then becomes continually uh, an expression of equanimity. Continually. So we listen to that voice that's in our head. Don't run away from it. Listen to those feelings. Watch those feelings that are in the body. Watch whatever's going on. And in that watching, there's a radiance that begins to expose what's on the stage. What's on the stage then recognizes it no longer is in total control. It can no longer use this self-system. But rather, this self-system begins to be able to use the ego. Put another way, the mind, instead of tooling us, becomes a tool. A very beautiful one. 
It's not something that's evil, but our mind, rather than, which I, I use interchangeably with the field general, field general and mind, same thing, okay? What the mind, what the mind does is not necessarily bad, but when it's our only option or when it's our biggest addiction, we tend to find ourselves totally confined, totally bound. What's the way out of that bondage? Notice the bondage. The minute we notice, the, wow, there's a sense of total bondage there. There's a total contraction. I'm noticing this whole, that which is noticing that is not bound. It's that which is perceiving, that which is perceiving is not bound by the perception. Now, this may sound really heady. This may sound like, you know, just intellectual poppycock. But it's an incredibly helpful and useful way of approaching stillness, stillness practice. All stillness practice does is throw us in the audience of whatever's going on. When we are still, when we are in the seated posture, okay, or when we're, you know, driving totally mindfully, or when we are doing the most mundane of our chores, our day-to-day -day chores, whatever they happen to be, especially the ones you want to avoid, if we can just do them as we're doing them fully, experience the entire event with a totality, okay, rather than it becoming uh, kind of a, you know, a means to an end, let it be the end itself, really. Let it, let the, for me it's washing dishes. It's just mine. Um, I don't like washing dishes, uh, and I find that every single time I just go in there, no matter how, <laughs> how much the sink is piled up, I just begin to participate. And it was this way back when I was in Monkville, too. My assignment, lo and behold, <laughs> was pots. It was just the, it was the, and you know, when it, there is nothing like oatmeal that serves 200, okay, that has been caked and dried onto pots. And, you know, for months, I was the pot guy. And I would just look at that they became my friends because there was, there was just, what I got to do was watch the resistance in my experience. Sometimes I was really good at it, other times I was totally caught by it. When I'd watch other people not doing work. There's immediately this comparing mind that jumped in. How come I am doing all this work and they are giggling and stealing craisins from the dry storage area? I mean, really, really silly stuff like that. Just, you know, it's kind of this righteous indignation. Now, well, of course, it probably wasn't very fair, but who cares? That was such a gift. What happened? The theater presented itself right in front of me, almost daily. Almost daily, the theater was right there, and I got to see the, the, the field general fight and, you know, call out orders to all of his troops, you know, what we're going to do and who I need to talk to. And instead, there was just kind of this ease that kind of crept in, and man, those pots got clean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what a great gift. They put me in this torturous situation for me personally, and they didn't know. I mean, I didn't fill it out on an application. Is there anything you don't like to do? I hate pots, you know? 
don't make me scrape oatmeal. You know. So, anyway, equanimity shows up the minute we can just meet whatever we're facing with a certain aplomb, with just this full recognition that all this is temporary. Not only the experience that we're going to have, but also this life that we are leading. Every relationship that we have, everything is temporary. And if we can really, really let that in, that everything is temporary, suddenly, no matter what we're doing, it seems like a gift. That we are busy being alive. This life is this expansion, just like a flower. When it's alive, it blooms, right? This continual blooming is something that is afforded to each of us in every single moment, all right? Or we can whine, bitch, piss, and moan about things and die in that moment. This doesn't mean we don't stick up for ourselves, but it means that our relationship to the sticking up shifts. It becomes something that is not about pounding anything down. Instead of having a hammer and seeing that all of our problems look like nails, we begin to have open hands. We begin to ask nicely of ourselves and others from a place that's totally balanced. That's equanimity. Any questions? You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to try something. We've never done this before. I'd like to take a quick break. I'd like to take just like five minutes if we could. Mill around, be quiet, talk to each other if you wish, whatever it is that you would stretch. I just want to see what happens once we reconfigure. Okay? Is that all right? I'm not trying to like turn you into an experiment or anything, but I just, I'm just, okay, good. Uh, uh, but I do want to see, sometimes, sometimes after a talk, everybody's just, <laughs> you guys, you get, yeah, what did he just say? You guys are like oil paintings. <laughs> Do you remember John Gallo? Uh -huh. How John Gallo, every time he would say his name, he'd go, when we do that thing, you know, he'd go, Mara, we, we'd go right down the list, and he'd go, John, <coughs> John. <laughs> so let's break for just five, and we'll reconfigure. I'll ring you back in. <laughs> So unfair, and it seems not right, and it, it doesn't. It 
also doesn't seem right to just accept it either. Yeah, accepting doesn't mean giving in. Accepting means seeing truth through all its all the veils, right? Seeing what's real and then acting from that place. Now, what you may be looking at, well, one of the major confusions is, oh, so if we do this practice, we're just supposed to just kind of flop. And whatever, you know, somebody is, is attacking us, it's like, well, they may need to, so let's just, no. No, actually the work goes in the, the totally, the opposite direction. It's about standing and being upright in the face of all situations. You have three choices in whatever situation you're in. There are always three. The first thing, first choice, is to try to change the situation to the best of your ability. Okay? The second one is to leave the situation entirely. And the third situation is to, in essence, not change anything. All right? Those three. You always have those choices. So if somebody's coming at you or somebody is coming at you from a particularly unconscious place, it's a very contagious thing. Someone's unconsciousness sparks the unconsciousness usually within uh, anyone, right? And so the trick then is to be very present to meet that whole situation with equal, you know, total equanimity. Oh my goodness, I am, I'm starting to feel total resistance here. I am starting to feel you know, all this stuff is coming up, and then from that place of recognition, wisdom is just right there. We can usually see through the mess when we come from a place of this equanimity, this deep equanimity, not just, not just a superficial, oh, everything's cool, kumbaya. No, that's not it. What is it is, wow, there's a lot here to work with, all right? What words can you use that are actually going to not only benefit you, but the other person? Our speech becomes critical. What behaviors can we give, can we, can we extend, that are going to not only be helpful to us, but the other person? And if the other person is available to any of that stuff, negotiation can happen. Okay, if they're not available to any of it, negotiation can still happen, but you then are in charge of your response. And an appropriate response tends to arrive in, in a situation where there's deep presence, when you're totally present with what's going on. When you're not present with what's going on, we tend to get caught by their unconsciousness and the stuff that comes out of our mouth and the stuff that comes out of our minds and the stuff that sticks with us six, seven, eight hours later, six, seven, eight months years later, that stuff we don't need. So it's a real, it's a real art. Yeah, sure. So you didn't meet that situation with equanimity. Which one? Oh, that one. Oh, say, say you didn't. Whatever. Yeah, you didn't. Got it. So, you've got that stuff six, eight, nine hours, days, months, years later, <laughs> yeah. and it's still hanging around. Mm -hmm. Obviously, frequently you might bring it to the next one. Yes, especially yeah. Especially if you're in a 
long-term relationships. It's funny how that works, yeah, isn't it? Is. Yeah. Those long-term relationships <laughs> have a way of... Yeah, like 40 years or something. Yeah. Anyway, um, so now you're trying to come with equanimity, right? Uh-huh. But, but so you're not in the situation right at the moment. I mean, you're not, mm-hmm. nothing's popped up right now. So you're trying to be conscious in your life. Is there, is there anything you can kind of actively do? I mean, I know I can sit in meditation. Right, right, right. Okay, but is there anything else that I might actively do that helps me get rid of that six, eight, nine hours, days, months, years ago stuff? You know that? Right. I mean, the bay, whatever it is, because it's, it's repetitive stuff. Right. To me. It's nothing, it's not like it's something new. It's got its own inertia. Exactly. Right. And momentum and, you know, uh, life. Yeah. It has a life of its own now. Right. Even when I say to myself, okay, don't say that. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not going to bring that up. That isn't helpful. That's going to be whatever. You know, when I try to think in terms of the attaching and the resisting. Right. All, uh, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but just bear with, okay? <laughs> you mean I have to meditate? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, think of, think of this. Meditation is a rehearsal for our death, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a rehearsal for being totally present, which every one of us will be at our own death. Every, there, we can't not be you know, we're going to be fighting it the whole way, the whole way, the whole way, and finally there's some point where it's just like, and for any of us who have been around anybody who has died at the moment of their death, it is, you want a teacher? You want a teacher? Be around someone who's dying. Because what, what, what it shows is actually this serenity, this openness, this total surrender to what is. That's exactly what meditation is. It's a serenity, a conscious serenity that's not being imposed on us, but that we are actually engaging in. So it's this rehearsal for this deep equanimity that we will feel hopefully later rather than sooner. In your case especially, because I really like you. Okay. (laughs) But, But, so my answer to, is there anything actively we can do? Rehearse it. Rehearse it. Rehearse what Mike will do in your case. Rehearse what he will, you know, what little thing can he do that is just going to set you off, Carla? What little, and you run these through your heads, and then you, you can actually feel heat in your body. Have you ever noticed this? If you, if, you, if you put yourself in a situation where you felt really wronged or something like this, you can actually feel, for me, it's like right, right in the back of my ears, I can, I can kind of feel this upwelling of you know, all right? Then, at that moment, get present. Get present. Get very present with, with your reaction to all this baggage that you're carrying. You don't need to carry it anymore. Okay? So it's almost like saying, like, um, if I meditate, you know, it's either the, the past or the future or judgment. It's almost like in that moment, I go... Okay, that was past. Yeah. No sense in bringing it up. Well, oh, well, this is, well, it's going to, okay, that's future, no sense 
it doesn't mean that you can't participate fully in a conversation where you actually state your, in, in the most conscious way you can, your truth. That's very important because if you don't do that, then your partner doesn't have a dance partner. He's got mush, all right? Or she has mush, whatever. Whoever, whoever we're going with, if you, if you watch a dance at its best, it's when there's resistance just at the right time to create spin. Without resistance, if it's all, you know, it's not a dance and it's not beautiful. It's actually quite ugly, all right? So, what I, I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that all of those things that you are carrying with you, my sense is that they're very heavy. You've been carrying them a long time. And the letting go of them is almost more difficult than grabbing them and holding them for a time. Grabbing them and holding them is the job of this, of this field general on the stage of our mind. That's the job. That's added stuff to work with, all right? Added scripts to read from on the stage, right? But when you actually start letting go of them, when you start watching from the audience of your experience of what the field general, what the controller, what the ego, what the mind is doing with, with these situations, it's conniving all the time, how to react. And the minute your partner flicks one little thing, it's like, Boom, a whole series of soldiers go into one particular battle formation. And as long as that continues to happen, the relationship will continue to struggle at some level. It might be really intense, it might be really dramatic, it might not be that bad at all. Regardless, the way out is the way of releasing, of surrendering. And that occurs whenever, or the chances for that occur much more uh, readily if there's a rehearsal. So just try that technique, all right? Mm -hmm. What if, and run it through and watch. What if, run it through and then watch. And what you do is essentially, it's, it's almost like, like I said, you know, the spiritual athleticism that I talk about. It's like you're doing curls with this. And then when it's real, you can just drop it. Can, can, I, can I interrupt just for two seconds? Can I ask that you be very careful to come from your own experience, not adding to hers? And the, re the reason why is because what we, what we don't want to do, it, we want to keep ego at this moment. We want to watch ego on the stage. Does that, does that kind of make sense? I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying this from tenderness. I'm, I'm not, but it's, it's just give us your truth and see where that takes us. I was just going to share um, my experience of this equanimity from my own place of um, the word forever, which is when I'm in the middle of a struggle, sometimes it feels like, you know, I think always and never and forever are kind of words that we also get attached to. And my experience of that attachment to this particular struggle that I was having and this sense that forever was this cage that I was fighting with. And I don't know why, but suddenly it dawned on me that it was the fighting 
that was creating it forever. <laughs> and in that moment, there was such a, a release because then all of a sudden I realized that I had a choice. Yeah. And that the letting go, actually, my visual experience of that was the cage opened. Right. And I could step out. Yeah. That's so beautiful. T tell me about this. You said it was really nice. The, it was the forever occurred because of what? What was it? What because built the forever? I, I was fighting against the forever. And what does ego need? It needs... Um, Aga Aga it always needs something against it. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That's beautifully said. That's beautifully said that as long as ego has something against it, it's in charge. Mm -hmm. And if it has nothing against it, it starts to panic. So what will it do? It will create an against. It will create a resistance. It will create a war. And then it's got something to hang on to. Whew. Even if it's someone we love. But in my experience, it also has, when things are going well, I notice where it gets totally wrapped around me as well about how things are going so well. And um, so just watching, watching that. Um, I mean, what I notice with the practice is this movement between getting caught and it seems like I almost move farther away from my body somehow and then recognizing that I went off and then coming back to this place of center and then getting caught. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then some point recognizing that I'm caught and coming back to center. Yeah. And it's just in awareness and I think the hard part is not judging that to always have this story around so I played with that to, during our meditation tonight because you know the voice is always oh there you go again <laughs> you know and yeah. it's kind of like okay take a breath and that, just come back to that gentle just a gentle coaxing back to center, back to center, back to awareness, back to being, back to presence, back to presence. It's like surfing. Take a wave, oh, swim back, get another wave, oh, come back. Yeah. Cowabunga. <laughs> <laughs>